Okay. Well, um, I've tried not to think too much about introducing Julia. Because, um, you know, sometimes I can really get into introducing somebody and uh, I, I don't want to raise expectations too much. Um, but you know that uh, if you've been coming here for any length of time, you know um, I really like this person. Um, and she's had a tremendous impact on me. Um, there's um, my first heard her, uh, I said, wow, who is that person? Julia Butterfly Hill, who most of you know, was up in a redwood tree called Luna for a little over two years. Um, And um, got in touch with uh, a courage and a an alignment with truth and um, a heart that cares in a way that's had a profound effect on many, many people. And when I, I think of her, those, the words fearlessness and deep caring are what come to mind. And, um, and walking in truth. And so she is, for me, one of the most inspiring people around. However, I won't elevate your expectations too much, so I hope she's okay, but um, I've never seen her be uh, less than uh, very okay. And uh, I asked her, I'm, I'm just really so happy and, uh, and excited to share her with you and, and you with her uh, as we look at how we can make our practice um, an expression of our caring and uh, to actually manifest it. Uh, And there were a confluence of events. One, Julia doing her knee in, so she had to come here and be in Berkeley for these few months. And uh, we have a mutual friend, and uh, I said, gee, I really want to meet her. And uh, then we... Uh, connected, and at the same time, there is a um, there's something happening in this next uh, next month or so that I've mentioned here before. A few months ago, I gave a talk about uh, after I was reading Bill McKibben's book Earth, and so deeply uh, affected by it. And uh, Bill McKibben, who has this website 350.org, um, is putting together uh, a day or helping sponsor a day on October 10, 2010, 10-10-10, a global workday where communities all around the world are putting into action their caring for the planet and doing various um, works Work parties or expressions of um, of their uh, care for the planet uh, and uh, the climate um, uh, concerns, and so 
I wanted to have us do something as a group as well. And I thought how perfect for uh, maybe Julia to spark us uh, in her inimitable way of uh, caring and what she calls spiritual activation. By the way, if you, I highly recommend you checking out her two CD set, Spiritual Activation. I've, I know it very well, and it inspires me each time of how to how to really make practice, as I say, manifested in, in action. And after, towards the end of the evening, we also have uh, Susan Silber, who is here and coordinating the Berkeley um, events for that 10-10-10 day. Uh, and we'll follow this up. Next week, Julia's going to be here, and the week after, perhaps, we'll follow it up and starting to... Um, uh, Come together and 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 think about how we what we can do either individually or as a group or small groups, um, and we'll we'll talk more about that uh, later on uh, towards the end of the evening. But right now, I just uh, want you to have as much as you can after I've shut my mouth of Julia. <laughs> so please do your thing. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to all the beings who've brought this lineage and that we're here steeping in this evening and who have carried it forth in our world to help bring more love and compassion and peace to a human family who seems to be very good at perpetuating suffering. And uh, how blessed we are to the beings who bring forth another way of being to try and help shift that ability to cause suffering and bring forth our equally powerful possibility of creating peace and healing and love and a thriving planetary family. So it's a real joy and an honor to be here tonight with all of you. I get nervous every single time. I found if I just go ahead and say it, it helps my heart stop going boom, 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 boom. Because even though I've done literally thousands of talks, I get nervous every single time. And one of the great many, 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 many lessons I've learned uh, from my time living with an over 1,000-year-old elder, a redwood tree, is that if I give, just give, speak what's there, give voice to what's there, it helps its grip begin to loosen. So what's there is I climbed a tree and lived by myself for two years because I'm very good at playing by myself. <laughs> so playing with others kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> Even though you're such a peaceful community, if you were inside of my heart right now, you'd think that all of you like had weapons pointed at me. <laughs> But it's a, I'm, I'm really just feeling just a space of gratitude, uh, just in the meditation practice, of just really recognizing that our time, your time, is a sacred gift. It is a sacred resource. It is a sacred offering. And you chose tonight, out of all that is going on in your life, to come here and offer the sacred gift of your time here tonight towards peace within yourself and for the world. And I'm very present to that, and so in that space, I'm very, very grateful, knowing that 
out of all the things we all have going on in our lives, you make a commitment, some of you, every week to, to coming here together in community, that we have our individual practice. And, and I'm, I'm known for someone who talks about every single person, every single choice makes a difference. And I do know that when we bring our collectivity together, our connection together, then the difference we make grows and magnifies simply by that connection. And so choosing to commit to coming together to connect with that mindfulness practice is such an offering to the world. So I'm very, very grateful. In the moments that I'll share tonight, I'd like to put forth that I'm unattached to what I say. I don't write speeches. I never have. I pray. My prayer every time before I talk or do an interview is, may I show up and get out of the way. So I know to make a difference in the world, we must show up. And then to make the difference that I'm committed to making, I have to get out of my own way. And so praying that may I show up and get out of the way means tonight that my heart's desire in any words that come out of my mouth, and sometimes they surprise me as much as the next person, is that they serve you in the way that most serves you. So my commitment, my prayer is that if I say something that resonates with you tonight, all it means is that I did a good job of being a mirror. Because we can't actually see something in someone else or in another experience, if we don't have some aspect of it within ourselves. We wouldn't recognize it. We wouldn't be able to see it if we didn't have some aspect of it within ourselves. So if I say something that resonates with you tonight, wonderful. Then my job of being a mirror, my commitment to being a mirror, reflecting each one of our highest selves back, that commitment was a success. If I share anything that you do not like, compost it. Because then it can still serve you in the world. Because the great thing about compost, too, that I like to add, is that compost, if you just throw scrap vegetables on a pile, it will eventually, you know, biodegrade. But it will be smelly and it will attract flies. Anyone who's ever done compost knows that if you add intention and attention to the compost, if you stir it, if you add the right ingredients, that compost becomes a rich, life-giving source. So when I, if I say something that doesn't resonate with you, that triggers you, that's like, what's she talking about, or whatever, my invitation to you is that you compost it. I'm not t- attached to whether what I say is something somebody likes or doesn't like. My, my desire, my prayer, my commitment is that when I open my mouth and words come out, somehow, at either side, whether it inspires you or you want to turn it into compost, that it serves each and every one of us such that when we leave here this evening, everyone, including myself, is more inspired, more lit up, more passionate, more on fire to having our lives be the living model example of the world that we want to live in. That we walk out of here, each and every one of myself, uh, myself included, we walk out of here glowing our commitment such that people stop and look at us and say, what's that? Who's that? I want some of that. Give me some of that. That My experience has been that the more that we embody the world we want to live in, the more we create a space of invitation that people begin to be drawn towards us. They want it. They feel it. We live in a time that is literally dying on every level, asking for us as a human family to reconnect to reconnect with one another and to reconnect with this earth that we call home and to reconnect to the cosmos that we spin on this tiny little island planet called Earth in. So tonight my sharing comes from that, my offering comes from that. May it serve you, whether it just reminds you 
of something that you wanted to, needed to be reminded of or whether it doesn't serve you in a compo you compost it and it serves you in the world in another way. That's, that's my heart's desire when I share. The topic tonight about spiritual activation, it's a term that came to me because there was this kind of shifting in awareness. There was like the activist over here, and there was the spiritual community over here, and there was a little bit of a missing. I, I talked about it like there's like the, ran the branches and the roots, but no trunk. And quite a few years ago, there was this emerging of this conversation of the coming together of spirit-based faith -based communities of various traditions and activism. And so then they started talking about things like spiritual activism. But I get, I get a little concerned of words that ends in isms. Because oftentimes we, we create language as a way to connect to something. And a lot of the isms and the ists in our world were, were originally designed to have us relate to something. But unfortunately, over time, what I've seen, what I've experienced is that those words end up becoming ways that we separate from one another. And so I found that even with the word activism, people had an idea, especially with a woman like me who lived in a tree for two years and eight days, right? So when people hear, you know, the poster child of a tree hugger, they think, oh, well, I can't do that. And so automatically there's a separation of there's the people who lock down, there's the people who go live in trees, there's the people who did this very particular thing, and that's activism, and that's not me. And so be, I, I started feeling like there was this separation happening with the word activism. So I started trying to ask myself, well, what is another word for what I'm really committed to? And the word spiritual, the word spiritual activation came to me, where what I learned while living in that tree and all of my time since being down on the ground and practicing and learning more and practicing and learning more is that every single time we make a choice, the world changes. Every single time. We, people come up to me and say, thank you, Julia, for showing us that one person can make a difference. And I remind people, because no choice happens in a vacuum, it is actually, not only spiritually, but scientifically impossible to make no difference. <laughs> Just so we're clear. We have a really interesting way of thinking that we have to realign and recognize that because no choice happens in a vacuum, it's scientifically as well as spiritually impossible to make no difference. Oh! Because <laughs> now we realize every time we make a choice for changing the world, every single thought Word and action makes a difference. Every single one. So then it's not, can one person make a difference? That is a question that is part of a dying system. The question becomes not, can I make a difference? Because we recognize, ooh, whether we want to or not, we're making a difference. So the question then becomes, what kind of a difference do I want to make with my life? What kind of difference do I want to make with this choice, this moment, this breath? Part of the reason I love meditation and the focus on the breath is because I tend to lean towards being a hopeless cynic, which people don't normally know because here I am, I just open my mouth and I'm like, come on, team, let's go make a difference. 
But my tendency is to lean towards cynicism and hopelessness because I had a very, very brutal childhood. And so from my very earliest days, I have this messaging that there's no hope. And so when I'm out of the present moment, I'm back there, hopeless. And yet the breath reminds me. And I got this one when I was in the tree, and there were moments where all I had was if I could make it through this breath, I might make it through another one. And I got this aha one day. That's such a, well, duh, but it was an aha. Ha. <laughs> I got this aha. Every time we take a breath, a miracle just happened. Do we realize that every time we take a breath, a miracle happens? And so we can ask ourselves, then, what do I want to do with the miracle of my life? And that's where spiritual activation came to me as a concept, as an idea, as a framework for this kind of thought and this kind of way of being in the world. That if I recognize every single breath is a miracle, then I ask myself, through that miracle, with every choice, how do I want to activate the consciousness of oneness in this moment? Moment by moment, breath by breath by breath. When I was in the tree, when I first climbed into the tree, I thought that I was there just for the redwoods, which is an important reason to climb a tree. And trees over a thousand years old, it was marked to be cut down. There's many, many trees like it still hitting the ground even today. When I first climbed up, I thought I was there just for the redwoods, but and the longer I stayed, the more I started to, to see and learn, the more I started to see and learn, the more I incorporated into my being, the more I shifted. This one day in particular, I had a solar-powered phone in the tree. And I was on a phone call with activists on the ground, and we were planning an action. And wouldn't you know it, people have different ideas on how to do a good action. <laughs> Shocking, I know. And uh, all of a sudden, we're all trying to like come to common ground on this particular action. But before I knew it, people's voices were starting to raise. People were belittling one another. The tones in people's voices started to shift. And I'm sitting there 18 stories up in a tree with a solar-powered phone in my ear going, what is going on? And it was ripping my heart and soul apart. And after the phone call, I hung up the phone and I started sobbing. Because it hit me, and I was like, how in the world do we think we're ever going to end the clear-cutting in the forests if we're so effective at clear-cutting one another? And I had another aha epiphany moment of every issue that our world is facing is the outward manifestation of the inner landscape that the clear-cutting in the forest is the outward manifestation of the inner landscape. The wars, the way that we're altering food in very damaging and scary ways, the ways we create prisons and destroy the diversity from our communities. I mean, any issue that you care about, what we're actually looking at is the symptom of a disease. And that disease is one of disconnect. If we're disconnected from the forest, we can destroy it and not realizing that we're destroying the lungs of ourselves, the lungs of future generations. If we're disconnected from a person, of people, we can drop a bomb on them and call them a statistic instead of feeling them as human beings. Every issue is a symptom of the disease of disconnect. 
And when I had that aha, my life started to shift into what I then became, which when people say, well, what is it that you call yourself, Juliet? I'm like, I don't call myself anything. But if you have to call me something, call me a holistic health practitioner. Because that's actually what I see my role as. That I'm committed to holistic, healthy being, where we recognize that, no, really, we're all one. No asterisk at the end with some exemption clauses. We are all one, really. The plants, the animals, the water, the air, us today, past generations, future generations, we are all one. And what we do to one, we do to ourselves. And the wounds on the earth are the mirrors reflecting back to us the wounds within us, that we are outwardly manifesting that woundedness inside. So for me, spiritual activation is the way about asking myself in every moment, without judgment and without a call to perfection, which depending on the day and the moment, sometimes I do better than others at that. But looking at every single choice and saying, is this leading me towards the vision of the world that I have, or is this leading me away from that vision? Every choice. I'm heading in one direction or the other. Because it's impossible to make no difference. I'm making a difference one way or the other with every single choice, every single thought, every single word. And it becomes a big call to action. And recognizing then that activism is actually what nearly, I guess we're close to 7 billion people now. We're all activists. Because we're all making a difference every single moment of every day. The question then is, are we unconscious activists or are we conscious activists? But we're all activists. So that's part of why I was looking for a different word, and this idea activation came to me so that I could remember within myself that every moment of every day, am I activating my commitment to the consciousness of oneness or am I not? And it makes it really, really simple. It is not easy. <laughs> but it is simple. <laughs> because we live in a time that perpetuates us being disconnected, first and foremost from ourselves. We can look at the cover of magazines. There's hundreds of them on the shelves now. And they all say, you just need this next thing, this next new workout, this next new car, this next new perfume, this next new outfit. It's always about something other than who we are. And I, and I love to reflect back to you, but wouldn't it be amazing if we had magazines that said 101 ways to be perfectly happy with who you are, where you are, with what you have? It would go out of business quite quickly as well. But if we were truly perfectly happy with who we are, where we are, with what we have, really what that means is like embracing that who we are is exactly who we're meant to be, that who we are is connected to everything that ever has been, everything that is, and everything that ever will be, and that, yes, indeed, whether we want to or not, we're making a difference that impacts the oneness, which means it impacts all of us 100% of the time. And then the tricky part comes in, at least for me. I'm sure you all, with as much meditation as you do, are much more enlightened than I am. Because I have many moments where I know that it's all one, and then the chainsaw of my thoughts start kicking it. <laughs> and I'm just chainsawing the heck out of myself or somebody else. Give me a second. It's either I'm bad or they're bad, you know? I'm right or they're wrong. Like, it's just, oh, my goodness, if you could read my thoughts, sometimes you would not speak so glowingly of me. <laughs> 
boy, the thought of, uh, that all of a sudden before I know it, here I am committed to being a holistic health practitioner, and my thoughts are just seeding poison left and right. And I, I found that that oftentimes happens when I'm in pain because it's my defense mechanism to the fact that I chose to have my heart open. And I just got present to that, and so then the tears come. Because um, James said, you know, that the fearlessness comes to mind. And it's funny, because I'm not fearless. I'm just willing to love so much that I don't let fear stop me. But there are times when I want to, because to care in the world today is an act of courage. And then to put care into action is the highest form of courage we will take every single day. Because we live in a time that wants us not to care. We live in a time that perpetuates us not caring. We live in a time that feeds off of us being disconnected from ourselves, our community, our world, our planet, and our cosmos. It is a system that is designed for us to be disconnected. And so to open our hearts and be willing to be connected takes courage because it means it's going to hurt. And I am a very sensitive being, so I cry easily and I cry a lot because I feel when something is, or someone is suffering. I just feel it deeply. I mean, in this moment, I'm just feeling the suffering of the world, and I start to cry because it's like, wow, so much pain and suffering. So I find that my harsh critic judger comes in as a superhero to defend me from the pain. <laughs> so I try to notice when those thoughts are coming that I also realize in those moments that I'm also out of integrity. Because my purpose that I chose for my life is to live a life of integrity and loving, joyous service. That's the purpose I chose for my life. There's a period at the end of that statement. It doesn't say, my, life is to live in, my purpose is to live a life of integrity and loving, joyous service when the circumstances are right. <laughs> That's not part of my purpose. There's a period at the end of the statement. Loving, integrity and loving, joyous service, the end. Which means without attachment. I live a life of integrity because I want the foundation of my life to be solid so that the stands that I make and the requests that I make of the world, that I'm standing in what I'm asking for, not just talking about it. I have love as part of my purpose. Why love? Why not? Joy, for the sake of joy. Service, because I can't think of anything else I'd rather do with my life than to offer it as a contribution in a very humble way, because I am a human and I make tons of mistakes on a daily basis, but to offer from my heart to be in service to this world. And so I know that when my harsh critic is coming in, when I'm pointing fingers, creating blame, doing those kinds of things, that I'm actually attached to an outcome, which means I'm out of purpose, which also means I'm out of integrity, which means I'm even more out of purpose, <laughs> which means it's time for me to sit still, get my mind in order, tell it thank you for sharing, and then get back on track to living integrity and loving joyous service because I want to live integrity and loving joyous service. This, to me, is what makes life rich and abundant. It makes every moment something to harvest, even in the pain, even in the struggle, even in the challenges and the difficulties. I've had death threats. I've had guns pulled on me. I've had entire buildings evacuated because of bomb threats. I mean, I just sat in a tree. <laughs> you know? Like, really? <laughs> really? Okay. 
all of this, this energy that's happening in the world, this intensity, this kind of practice, this kind of mindfulness practice of taking the time to be still, to notice with, with, with compassion and with love, we can bring this and activate it every moment of every day. We can take it off the chairs and off the mats and out into the world and be the living embodiment of the healing that our world is begging for, calling for, dying for, gasping for. We can show up and be the embodiment of the vision we have for the world. And it takes it out of the realm of activism into the realm of activation. How can I, every moment of every day, activate my care for the world in every choice that I make? When I, when I was up in the tree for a while, people started saying that I was beginning to sound like Gandhi in my talks. And I had heard a little bit about Gandhi, but I didn't know that much. And um, people were saying this thing, nonviolence. And I was like, hmm, nonviolence. Why do we use two negative words to describe a very positive movement? And why do we use, why do we define ourselves by what we're against instead of what we're for? And luckily I had beginner's mind, so I had those kind of questions because I wasn't raised this way. So I, I had the beginner's mind's questions, which ended up being helpful. And, and so I started, I started asking people to send me any books they had on Gandhi and on the movement of Ahimsa. And I, luckily, in my research, uncovered that nonviolence was the best way that it, ahimsa could be translated. But a better, more full definition of ahimsa is to live so fully and presently in love that there is no room for anything else to exist. Yeah, wow. I get goosebumps every time I say it. Part of why I love to say it, because it gets me present to it. Imagine if we live our lives, not perfectly, live our lives with the commitment of being an example, being a fulfilled embodiment of living so fully and presently in love that there is no room for anything else to exist. And then taking that as service, as seva, as an offering to the world. Every moment of every day. For me, that begins with my daily choice practices. It begins with, I actually choose to not use disposables. We are so disconnected, all of us, that we say we're going to throw something away, and we think there's such a place. That's, to me, the thing I model, I talk about a lot, because it's the big aha moment. Like, right, we say there's some, we're going to throw something away, and we think there's such a place. There's no such thing as a way. If we had to walk in the clear cuts for every paper towel, paper cup, paper plate, paper napkin, paper bag, all those kinds of things, if we had to listen to the chainsaws like I did for two years and eight days, would our actions begin to shift? If we had to walk in the unlined oil pits in Ecuador like I have or in Africa, every time we used a plastic bag, plastic to-go container, plastic cup, plastic utensils, would our actions shift? If we had to go swim in the Gulf right now, every time we got in a car, would our actions shift even a little? If we were at the impact of our choice, how would our actions change? And when we get to live so fully and presently in love that there's no room for anything else to exist, the daily conversation is not about what I call granolier than thou. 
Humor for me is really good. I'm glad some of you are finding it funny as well. But humor helps may remind me that I'm human and that we're all human and we're fumbling our way towards ecstasy one way or another, towards our divinity, but it's a fumble. And uh, it is not about granolier than thou. It's not about get out your checklist, right? It's not a to-do list. How many of us have things on our to-do list that fall off of the to-do list, right? So we don't want transforming the world to fall off the to-do list. So we must get it off the to-do list and into an automatic expression of what our heart longs to see in the world. Much better way to change our actions. So I invite people, I'm like, start with a daily practice, and instead of it being about, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to cut down a tree for my cup or for my plate, or I'm not going to destroy the planet for plastic, it's more like, I'm going to bring my own mug today, and I'm going to offer that like a sacred altar. It's my, my cup that I goes with me everywhere I go. This is my sacred offering. It's not just a mug. My to-go container that goes with me everywhere I go. It's right here. My reusable utensils. It's all part of my sacred offering. It's not about the, oh, look, I carry my stuff around. You should, too. It's my sacred offering. How amazing it feels to live our life as a sacred offering beginning in the daily practice and then spreading out into our community, looking into our communities and seeing what is there that can use our particular gifts. Who we are is exactly who we're meant to be. I've been stubborn and getting into trouble since I was two. I learned how to direct it into good causes. So each one of us, exactly who we are, is a perfect, unique gift, just as we are. And so wherever our community has a need, there is a perfect place for who you are, exactly as you are, right here, right now, to be the best offering to the community. And then it also includes expanding our ideas of community. You know, it's like uh, Berkeley's really close to Richmond. It's really close to Bayview Hunters Point. It's really close to a lot of West Oakland. It's really close to a lot of places that we don't think of as community sometimes because the pain of what it would be to feel that as community is so intense that we tend to shrink our boundaries of community instead of expand them. And so I invite us all, myself included, to constantly be looking at how to expand the concept of community and then recognizing that every time we're making any choice, it impacts the world, it impacts the future, and to bring that awareness into our thoughts and our practices. And imagine if we all just woke up every day and said, what can I do today with my life to make the world a better place? That was the first question we asked ourselves when our eyes pop open in the morning. My first question is usually, where's the hot tea? But I try to, uh, to beat that question first with, how, what can I do today to make the world a better place? How can I have my life be a sacred offering to this gift of every breath that I get to take? And sometimes I fall short. Many times I fall short. But if the, if the gift is about the, truly the connection, the consciousness of oneness, then practicing that on myself as well and learning not to judge myself for not being able to save the world, just being able to do my part and offer it with love and with respect and with a commitment to learning and growing. And finally, I will end with this, that um, this 10-10-10 that's coming up is a really great opportunity to see activism, to see service as a sacred practice and to get to practice that sacred practice with a lot of people all over the world. And to, to remember, sometimes the daily actions, they're important, but sometimes we start to feel alone in the work. We begin to feel, especially if we look at all that's going 
so intensely wrong in the world. We look at all the suffering, we feel all the suffering. It's easy to feel alone and isolated and really, am I really making a difference? I know Julia said that every choice makes a difference, but really? I don't know. So it helps to have these times when we come together as community in this time, not only to meditate together, but also to find ways to serve with one another and to celebrate the gift of life as a sacred practice and to offer that. And to offer it in this community, you have even an extra gift to add because you have this commitment to doing the inner work and then bringing that also into the outer work. And that will shine a light that will draw others in. They will feel that you are not only doing peace, but you are being peace. That you're not only doing something loving, but you are being loving. Just as in the tree, I heard the chainsaws and our voices in the activist community because we hadn't done the spiritual work. We hadn't done the internal work. So we were taking our woundedness out on one another. Just as I could feel that suffering that we did with one another, we can feel when we're bringing our healthiest, most loving, most compassionate, kind selves forth. And people are hungry for it, even if they don't realize it. So not only can going out and doing a service-based project be vital for the community and for the world, but the way that we show up can make it, not only can, does make a huge difference as well. And whatever community practice you might choose to participate in on the 10th, the way that this community can show, show up and show forth can really touch people in a way that they didn't expect. Other people who will think that they're just coming to help out on this 10-10-10 day are going to feel something if a community like this shows up to do the work. And they're going to have a transformational experience of themselves in being in service. And to me, that's the best part of service is that in that exchange, I get to constantly learn and grow and have a new awareness of myself and then bring that forward with love, with compassion. Sometimes not so much love and compassion. On those days, I put myself on a timeout. Meditation is a timeout. I put myself on timeouts. There are some days where I know that all that's in the space is my judgment because I'm hurting so badly that my fierce super-duper de- defender, as I call her, she's a super-duper defender. She has a cape and everything. She's very mean and judgmental. <laughs> she's really not very loving or kind. But when she's in the space, I know that I just need to put myself on a timeout. And sometimes the best thing to do is to not do. There are moments like this practice. The best thing to do is to not do, to sit and be still and to allow the unwinding to happen, the emptying to happen so that we can refill and renew with love in committed service. And then there is the time to then put that into action, to go and do and embody this idea of what spirit looks like, what love looks like, what peace looks like, and what it feels like as it shows up to make a contribution in the world. And I think with that, whatever was flowing through me is complete. And I thank you for your time. Yes, I'd be happy to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can have some time for uh, questions, discussion, and uh, and then towards the end, uh, Susan, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, 10, 10, 10. So, anybody want to uh, take the mic?
can't break your knee, too. Hello? Julia, uh, you seem to be very charismatic, and I thank you for uh, sharing with us. Um, My question um, is, have you ever taught children? In what way? um, In your way. (laughs) Have I ever taught children? Sure, I guess so. I mean, uh, I've done quite a bit in schools, all different ages. Um, I found that the best thing with children is to shut up and play. Uh, So with children, I tend to have more fun sometimes because we close our mouths and we swim like salmon upstream and we fly like marbled merlets going into the redwoods and, you know, we sway back and forth in the wind like the trees. So uh, when we're really young, we're like, on the ground, right? We're on our bellies. We're as close to the earth as we can get. And then we start to stand and walk, and all of a sudden we get disconnected from the earth. <laughs> so with with the younger children, I tend to just, let's make it real. Let's make it be what it is. It's all about the earth. And, and right now, actually, part of what I'm doing is helping friends of mine who are adopting. I think that adoption is one of the greatest gifts we can give to divine beings who are already here and also to the earth because Mother Earth has seven billion children. And uh, that's a lot of children for her to be caring for. So the better job we can do of caring for the kids who are already here, the more we can help Mama Earth. So like right now, I'm two to three days a week with a little one that my friends are adopting. And the only teaching there is just to show up with love and and play. And So yeah, it just depends on the age group. I do my best to have us all be in touch with our inner child, though. Because <laughs> even though my inner child also throws temper tantrums and makes a mess of things, uh, she's also the one that still believes in magic, you know, and uh, the great mystery. that I, I, My cynic side of myself is the part of me that thinks she knows it all already. And she doesn't know anything, but the cynic seed she does. So being in touch with my inner child reminds me of the magic and gets me in touch with the magic and the great mystery, which is good medicine. I'm really um, so pleased to meet you. Thank you. (laughs) And I was wondering, as you travel around the country, if you've come across some surprising... Uh, you know, on the coasts, we kind of like to think we're the smart kids in the class. We, And I was just wondering if you came across things that were happening in surprising places, either in this country or other places in the world, sure. that um, might, you know, be illuminating for us. Mm-hmm. Actually, what's funny, what's, what's coming through me in the moment, what I'm most present to that question is that... Um, 100% of the time, we get what we're looking for. So what I mean by that is if we go into the Midwest and we have a concept in our head of what Midwesterns are like, we're going to see that. If we go into the Midwest with a beginner's mind, we're going to meet really amazing people doing really amazing things. And so my experience has been that everywhere I go, I meet really unusual people doing really unusual things. 
and I love it, but partly because that's my commitment. I see it like glasses, you know, like what glasses am I putting on? And so I try to put on the glasses of love every day such that I seek out love, even in something that feels like not love. If I'm committed to seeing love, then maybe somehow I can tease a thread of love from that experience that feels like not love. And the same thing with... I actually got the lesson when I was in the tree because I realized that every time I said the word logger, I'd already killed them off. I had such a concept of who and what a logger is that I had a whole story attached to the word logger. And then I want them to try and understand my point of view, but I'm already have them stuck in a box, a very, very, very tiny box in my brain of what logger meant to me. And so I learned that if I would undo that thinking, I would expand the space for them to show up in. And in so doing, they began to expand with me because I made myself get out of the way so that they could be a human being instead of a logger. And so I found that, I mean, like I was touring across the country in a bus that I converted to be a model of sustainability because I wanted to, you know, in California and New York and a few other places, like we know solar panels, we know, you know, water reduction and energy reduction use and all these things, but it's not necessarily everywhere. So I converted a bus to be a model, a traveling model home of sustainability. And um, one of the things it did was it, it runs off of recycled waste vegetable oil, you know, so we're like grease dumpster diving across the country. And, uh, one day, one of the hoses on our collection system broke, and we didn't realize it, and we were spewing <laughs> recycled veggie oil on the back of the bus, which so doesn't make our movement look very good. And uh, <laughs> turns out there's a trucker behind us getting sprayed with our vegetable oil. And he pulls us over and, and, I, and flashes over, and he said, you're something is spewing out of the back of your of your bus. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. How can I make this up to you? And he's like, no, no, it's cool. And then he just starts, like, pitching in and helping out. And then somehow he figures out who I am. I don't even exactly know how. I think one of the people that I was with, he was talking to them while they were cleaning up this big, you know, oil slick we had created. And uh, <laughs> luckily it was a vegetable oil slick and not a petroleum oil slick. And uh, so I think he was asking, like, what are you guys doing on tour? And so they told him, and, and he comes up to me, and he goes, my daughter was telling me about you, and I thought you were nuts. But <laughs> And I was like, it's okay. Most people think that, and I, I kind of am. I did live in a tree for two years. I am a little crazy. It's cool. I got that already. So <laughs> he was like, but you're just kind of regular people. I mean, this is a little weird, but it's kind of cool. And, you know, so I gave him a signed autograph copy of the book to tell him thank you for not, like, running us over with his semi for causing an oil slick. And, um, and then later on got a letter to my P.O. box from his wife, you know. So, like, it, the reason I shared that story, which isn't an exact answer to the question, only is because I've learned that we will always, 100% of the time, find what we're looking for. So if we look to be interested, if we put on the glasses of I want to learn, I want to be interested, I want to be pleasantly surprised, I want to find love, then we will find it. Not always easy, but we will always find it. And then some more practical things um, of what I'm finding happening across the country is really community-based things, which is part of what's exciting about this upcoming 1010 project is like, 
part of the gift that I feel is hidden in the threat of global climate change is that it's going to demand and force community. And so that's one of the hidden gifts I see in this very looming threat that is causing a lot of suffering and harm in the world and is going to continue more suffering and harm. The, one of the hidden gifts is that it's actually going to demand and force community because we can't keep living the way we've been living. And so <clears throat> a lot of the interesting things that I'm finding across the country are community-based. A lot of it is happening around food. A lot of it is happening around bartering systems. A lot of it is happening through young people because young people... Um, Sometimes they do this thing called rebel. And uh, <laughs> so if they get told something's not possible, they have to rebel and make it possible. <laughs> so they, when young, younger people are doing some pretty incredible things because they ha they're rebelling against the concept of being told that whatever they care about is impossible, so give up. I mean, I, know, I, I gave an award to a 15-year-old young woman with a lisp who's way more shy than I am, like literally talks really quiet and had a lisp and just like not this person you would think of as this like charismatic person who's out going to change the world and she pretty much single-handedly stopped a gas oil pipeline from going through her family farm in the Midwest. Uh, met a five-year-old who helped stop a logging road in Alaska. I mean like you know amazing things happening but a lot a lot not but and a lot of it's happening on the community level where we keep putting so much attention and energy around like things like national politics that's the top of the foundation. I mean, excuse me, that's the top of the pyramid. Most people don't know who's their board of supervisors, who's on their school boards, who's on their city and county planning and commissioning. And we think we're going to get somebody elected into the White House that's going to be accountable to us. And so for me, that the community-based initiatives are where some of the best uh, things are happening because people are just going, what, do my, what does my community need and what do I have to offer and contribute to that? And really innovative things happening, for sure, all over the world. Thank you for your question. Our little corner over here is <laughs> talkative tonight. Um, wow. I just, I just am so thankful I came tonight to hear what you had to say. I just feel kind of stunned. Um, I um, was really active in the same movement during those years, and I, I know I heard you once or twice, but it was way back, you know, in the back of the crowd, and there was so much else going on that I never, and everybody was kind of saying many of the same things, so that was a long time ago. And it's just, it, um, it's a little eerie to be here tonight and to have you here too and to just kind of reconnect to those days. And I think what I want to share is just, um, I just feel so burned out. I had a really brutal childhood too, so there's that as kind of a foundation. And then was a political activist burned out there, and now I work with trauma and addiction recovery. And um, I just feel like I'm, doing just this minutia level work and and listen to the news and just, you know, all the stuff that we all know about and we all suffer from. And I can really lose sight of how every choice makes a difference. And it just can't be said enough. Mm -hmm. 
and it, it it needs to be said with the kind of love and enthusiasm that you said it tonight because I just my heart just opened mm. and so um, just thank you thank you very much thank you Hi. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I um, I was at a retreat with Joanna Macy in April, and um, she did a beautiful guided meditation technique of how we can meet planet suffering in our own hearts and bringing it through like a ribbon into our hearts and letting it go into the web of life. And it was so helpful to me for being able to pick up a newspaper mm. or listen to the radio. I'm wondering if you have any sorts of things that you've discovered help to help people open to that suffering instead of just walking away or mm. closing down about it. Sure. Thank you. <clears throat> because media has come up twice, the first thing I'm going to say is there's such a thing as TMI, too much information. <laughs> There is actually such a thing. We are, even though we are infinite beings, we are also finite as well. We dance, life is for me the dance of duality. So we are infinite on the spiritual realm and at the same time in the, in the physical realm. We are this one vessel. And so the more we fill it up with one thing, the less room there is for something else. And uh, one of the things I, I'm blessed to do in my life is to do life coaching with people. And I find that when people start getting really cynical and burnt out and overwhelmed, they're usually paying attention to too much media. And so part of their homework is to go on a media fast. So I actually encourage people, I mean, even KPFA bless them. Um, so much of the information that comes through is everything that's wrong. And we do m manifest what we focus on doesn't mean to be ignorant and, you know, there's those moments where it's like, la, 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 <laughs> Hands over the eyes, thumbs in the ears. Everything's fine, la, 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 la. <laughs> so I'm not saying necessarily that we do that, but there it, we tend to swing in the other direction, especially in today's time with the Internet where you can click and have access to everything that's happening all over the world in a second. And so much of it is what is wrong. And so it's like a sponge. A sponge reaches a saturation point. And so if we fill up the sponge of our being with too much negativity, it's going to be extremely hard to absorb the positive. And also when we ring ourselves out, what then comes out is negativity. And if what we're committed to is bringing positive healing energy to the world, we have to be mindful of what we're putting in because what we put in is what comes out. But... Above and beyond that. So first, I encourage people. I'm like, I, I, I tell people a lot. It's like, it's time to turn off our televisions and go out into our community and tell a vision. Yeah, because our media isn't doing much vision telling. <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. Many, 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 many amazing speeches. But the one he's most famous for is, "I have a dream." And his dream was so powerful that it sparked and caught what well, was the, 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 one of the defining moment, momental sparks of a movement. His speech was not, I am mad at governments, I am mad at corporations, I am mad at people that keep others enslaved, the world is doomed, everything's wrong. 
not quite the same calling. I have a dream, and that dream, that vision is so potent and so powerful, and I'm so committed to living it that I'm going to speak it in a way that will resonate throughout time, and we still know it now, and future generations will continue to know that speech. So part of what our calling is is truly go out into our communities and live and tell a vision through our examples, through our words. Talk about what's right, a model right way of living and being with one another, not just what's wrong, but what it looks like, what it feels like. Again, it's a perfect tie into this 10-10 action to actually go out there, help heal what's wrong by being what's right and having conversations with people we've never met before and looking them in the eyes and smiling and saying, doesn't this feel great? I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being out here today. Like you start talking that way and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, right on. Let me at him. So, you know, that's one thing. And then the other thing, actually, the tree taught me Tonglen. You know, the practice of breathing in the pain and suffering and breathing out healing. And I had, I had never been taught that practice before. But there is this one day in the tree where I was, more than one time, but this one time in particular, I was literally in the fetal position, rocking back and forth, sobbing my eyes out, going, please, I can't take another day. Because I went through the worst storm in recorded history of California. I went through vloggers trying to kill me. I went through activists who got mad at me taking their woundedness out on me. It was coming at me from every single level, and I was having to bear witness to a forest being destroyed, and I couldn't go turn on the television and anesthetize myself. I couldn't go out shopping and anesthetize myself. I had to bear witness all day, every day, for two years and eight days to a forest being destroyed that we will never get back. And I was breaking apart. I literally didn't know how I could take another moment. And I was consumed with rage. I was consumed with grief. I was becoming immobilized by the intensity of what I was experiencing. And the image of a tree, shockingly enough, came into my mind as I was begging and praying and asking the universe for help. And as I saw this image and I started focusing and meditating on it, the branches of the tree began to move like arms. And as it did, this intensely murky-looking stuff began to go into this tree. And then as the branches came back out, this prismic rainbow light started shooting out of the branches of the trees. And of course, when I tell this story in other parts of the country, people say, you were doing drugs up there, weren't you? (laughs) But I know you all can understand the power of meditation and images and focusing on them, so I'm sharing it with you. So I'm seeing this image, and as I'm focusing on this image of this tree, breathing in all of this intense murkiness and breathing out this prism light, as I'm focusing on this image, the tree begins to grow. And it hit me that actually scientifically, that's what happens, and it was teaching me a spiritual lesson. The trees take in our toxins, transform it into clean air, transform it into clean water, transform it into stabilizing the ground. And in doing so, that's where their growth rings come from. So scientifically, trees practice this practice every single day. And they taught me that practice, that if I can through my love, transform the intensity so I can breathe in the pain and instead of shutting down to to it, I can actually breathe it into my love. And through that breathe out love, 
I can transform not only what I'm committed to transforming, but also instead of it taking me down, I can grow and become a better person for it. I can actually use that intensity as food to feed my growth if I can remember that practice. And at first, it was funny because at first my practice was love in, stress out. Love in, stress out. Especially when I was doing like hardcore radio interviews and stuff because like there's literally interviews where they would start the interview by revving a chainsaw. Like I did some intense stuff and I still do, right? Like, you know, like, hi, we're talking to the tree lady. Oh God, here we go again. And after those interviews, or I would like hold, while they were jabbering on it, hold the phone away from my, from my mouth and be like, love in, stress out, love in, stress out. (laughs) But then all of a sudden one day I had the aha moment of, oh crap, I'm putting stress out into the world and that's not what I'm committed to. Okay, now what am I going to do? And... Thank goodness for the trees. They say, no, Julia, love in, love out. And then they said, and even more, stress in, love out. Woundedness in, love out. Grief in, love out. Anger in, love out. Thank you. She's okay, huh? <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, uh, I I I ask you to stay just for a few moments. I know it's uh, it, it's nine thirty, but um, I do want to share this this part too. Um, and that is uh, first to uh, invite Susan Silber up. And as she's coming up, uh, talking a little bit about this uh, 10-10, 10-day, which will follow up uh, in subsequent weeks, I uh, want to mention um, two things. One is uh, Angelus Arian, who I've I mentioned here before, has this great phrase, action absorbs anxiety. And all the... All the tension, all the frustration, all the s- despair or helplessness that, that might feel, when we put it into action and, and make a difference, it's like we, we are moving through. We are taking that stress in and sending the love out. So uh, this is an opportunity for us to come together as a community. The other thing is uh, that um, something that Arya Ratna, A.T. Arya Ratna said, that if you give people a chance to come together as community and do something constructive together, that in itself is a joyful experience that uh, deepens one's spiritual practice. So we have uh, a really good opportunity in these uh, next few weeks and leading up to that 10, 10, 10. Uh, and uh want to now introduce you to Susan Silber, who's uh, coordinating a lot of the stuff for Berkeley on that day. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, Julia, for those really inspiring words of wisdom. So October 10, 2010, this is the world coming together and focusing on environmental solutions. 
And here in Berkeley, we have a history of social activism, a history of people doing many good things for the environment. And we want to show the world that we, we want to show the world all that we have to offer. So how can you help out? How, how can you get organized? Last year, how many of you participated in the October 24th Day of Global Action? Any of you? A few of you? <laughs> One of you participated. So last year, there are 52 actions all over the world organized by 350.org. Um, and there were, I believe, three in Berkeley. And this year, we would like to have many, many work parties organized in Berkeley. These work parties can be anything from a clothing swap to a toy swap to creating a community garden or a garden in your backyard, anything that helps to reduce greenhouse gases. So what we're asking you to do is, number one, to channel that inner community organizer in you and either talk amongst yourselves here in this community or go back to your neighbors um, or your synagogue or your church and say, what can we do on October 10th? What kind of work party can we organize? And there are lots of tools on the website that I just created f just for Berkeley. And also on 350.org, there are lots of organizing tools. Second, if you don't want to organize something, you can just simply participate in a work party. And right now, there are about 10 or so work parties that are being organized throughout Berkeley. The city of Berkeley, for example, is going to be transforming um, the corner of Adeline and Alcatraz from um, a desolate lot into a native community garden, which is a really wonderful, really exciting. And they need about 25, 30 volunteers for that. So that's the second thing you could do is participate. Third, if you simply are busy or don't want to do either, either of those two, you can simply think about the individual actions that you can take. Like Julia said, every single action makes a difference. So we have some um, pamphlets back in the back um, talking about individual actions that you can take. Maybe starting now, starting October 10th, maybe you're going to walk or bike more. Maybe you're going to wash your clothes in cold water. Every single action makes a difference. Um, fourth, you can also celebrate with us that day. Um, we're going to be organizing with Green Sangha a celebration at um, probably at Martin Luther King Park. We're hope hoping to entice Julia to come speak that day. Um, so those are the four things you can do, and I'm going to leave you with some homework. In two weeks, we're going to be talking more about the details about how exactly we can organize that day. So think about it, and I'm going to have a sign-up sheet in the back also if you would like to stay in touch with um, the Berkeley efforts, and um, please come back in two weeks, and we'll talk more. Thank you so much. Thanks, Susan. And... Mm, um, and I would, I would really uh, encourage you if you want to, if you want to take a leadership role and get a, um, a, an activity together, you know, or if you want to participate in a significant way, um, write down your name or want to stay in touch with what's happening. There's a, a, a sign up sheet back there and, and Susan is going to be, um, uh, ke keeping the names and we're going to see what we can do and brainstorm other, uh, activities. Uh, and the website is, on there, or is where? Where is the, what is the website? Okay, 
350.org is, you should check that website out, and that'll give you all over the world what different events. And Susan, that's how I got in touch with Susan uh, in the first place, because, oh, that's the Berkeley person, okay? And uh, she put together this sheet, which is um, a personal sheet, Simple Ways to Slow Down Climate Change, with 10 different, actually, uh, 10 different um, uh, suggestions for your personal um, commitment. And what I'd like to do in a few weeks uh, is to have us uh, spend a little bit of time uh, during that evening, whether or not we participate in a bigger action or a personal action, just how we're going to um, make a difference, how we make a difference anyway, how we're going to make a positive difference uh, in this consciously. So if you'd like, there are some of these uh, sheets uh, that you can start thinking about right now as far as in your own individual life. So, um, thank you. Thank you. And she's going to be here next week to follow this up and uh, open our hearts and blow our minds. I wish I were here. I'm going to be at, uh, at Spirit Rock, though, and I'll hear all about it. Just like very brief uh, loving kindness to dedicate the uh, evening. Just feel your heart and if it's anything like mine, just how it's been touched and how open it is and how much you care about life and this planet and how joyful it is to share that caring. And with this loving kindness, let's uh, send loving kindness to the earth. May you be safe from harm. May you feel our love for you. May you be as healthy as you possibly can so that you can share your magic with all of us. And may all beings get in touch with the love inside and share it well. May our coming here together have a rippling effect for ourselves, for everyone we know, everyone here, and all beings everywhere. May they benefit from our coming together. May all beings find happiness and peace and feel the love inside. Thanks so much for your patience and uh, your attention. Thank you, Julia and Susan. And uh, remember the, the Donna baskets, both for the monastery as well, but particularly to, uh, to support this uh, amazing person. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.